I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, Jennifer Smith. Jennifer is the CEO and co-founder of Scribe. Scribe is a really cool tool that saves you 20 plus hours a month in explaining, training, and answering quick questions. It auto-generates a step-by-step guide complete with texts and screenshots so you can share what you know without losing another minute. Jennifer and I had a great conversation. We talked about a day in the life of a busy tech CEO. We discussed her background in management consulting and how she's developed her sales acumen, how she came up with the idea for Scribe, and we get into product-led sales along with a lot of other amazing topics. Overall, this was a great conversation around mindset, selling, and managing a career. So with that, here's Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer, super excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So uh, I was just telling you off air that the the biggest question I got, I, I did a little survey before this episode and said, if you had uh, someone like Jennifer on the show who has this amazing background, you've done so many interesting things and you're the founder of a company, what would be uh, you know, your most burning question about <laughs> Jennifer's career? And the response I got overwhelmingly was, What's what does a day in the life of the CEO of a tech company look like? Maybe walk us through that as a starting point. Yeah, it's a lot of context switching, um, and no two days really look alike. Uh, and this is the thing that I love about my job. If I if I do it right, it won't look it won't look the same at all three months from now, and the three months after that, and it's it's constantly changing. Um, and I spend uh, a lot of my time thinking about what the future of the company looks like and where the puck is headed. So part of my day is just sort of managing where we're at today. And I'll talk more about like what that looks like in a second, but it's it's mostly working with my teams and our customers. And then part of my day, and I have to be really diligent to carve this out because it's easy to deprioritize, is thinking about where do we need to be going? And I'm almost kind of like that advanced search team or hunt team that's sort of like going off into the woods and being like, guys, let me figure out sort of where, where we're headed next. What are the... What are the things that we need to know how to do in the future to be prepared for what's coming that we don't right now and then figure out the gaps for that? So for me, that'll often look like spending time talking to people who have done the journey we're about to go do. So let me go talk to marketing leaders, sales leaders, product leaders who have scaled companies from here to here, because that's what we're going to be doing in six months from now. And I'm just trying to pattern match on like, what did you wish you had done when you were my stage? What does great look like at that stage? What's the gap between where we are today and how do I fill that? That, by the way, is just a great thing to do always. Like you don't have to be a CEO. If you're if you're a salesperson and you're just like, trying to figure out how to advance your career, like go find the people who are doing the things you want to do and like try to understand what they're doing that's different and what excellent looks like at that stage. And then you can start to pattern match for where you're at. And then, um, and then a lot of it is, is just kind of like managing the day-to-day. So I'll give you an example of uh, today. I don't have my calendar completely memorized, but right before this, we were doing some marketing planning for the next quarter. Uh, I'm going to jump onto a, a call with a PR team that we're evaluating after this. Right after that, I've got a call with a finance team that I'm onboarding. Uh, after that, I think we have our weekly product sync where we're going to uh, go through uh, what we're uh, what we're working on this week. I then got a brand conversation with my design team after that. Wow. And then I, and then I've got some one-on-ones with different team members after that. So it, it really is all about um, figuring out where I get points of leverage from my team and what people are doing and then going in and figuring out like, how can I help them? So a lot of my one-on-ones with people is actually guided by them. I say like, what 
what, what are the problems you're trying to solve right now? How can I help you? How are you thinking about it? Where do we brainstorm together? Where are you blocked? How can I unblock something for you? And then I overlay this. Here's where I think we're headed. Like here's, mm -hmm. here's kind of the overall vision and the drumbeat. Here's what that means for what we're probably going to be doing in the next three to six months. Here's the, what this means for you and your team and what you guys are trying to get done right now. There's wow. a lot of like tying all of that together. Yeah. You called, you called it category jumping. Is that, is that what I heard? Context switching. Context, context switching. Very different context, hour to hour. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe I could do a better job of bunching things together, but I'm often actually like a calendar time taker, which is existing mm. teams are already meeting. There's already a customer meeting, customer meeting happening that I'm joining, right? And so it's, it's me kind of thing like, how can I help um, everyone kind of move the ball forward in the areas they're trying to go? How do you stay on top of all of it? Do you, is there any tool that you found to be a game changer in how you sort of manage all of that context switching and just all of the, all of the different things you have to do on the calendar every single day? Yeah, I, um, I believe like in going to stuff with a prepared mind and I can't mm -hmm. always do that obviously. Uh, but I, I try to do it for almost every meeting. Otherwise it's kind of a waste of time because then I'm just sort of reacting in the moment. And so I try to have everyone share with me documents in advance, not special work product for me. Don't get me wrong, but like guys, send me whatever it is you're working on your scribbles, whatever the project plan is. And like, let me jump into that and form my thoughts. And so ideally I'm going into a meeting with here are the two or three points I really want to advance forward. Either I really want to get an answer to this question just for myself. Cause I don't know what it is, or I want to understand what this person is trying to do, or I think this person should be doing this and I need to get them to an aha moment. And how does, how do I influence them to get to that aha moment? Uh, in terms of tools, I mean, I, I could share my tech stack. It's probably not that different from uh, everyone else. Um, it's probably more how I use it. So for yeah. meetings, for example, um, unless they're recurring meetings or customer meetings that, that again, I'm sort of a time taker, I try to book everything within 48 hours. Mm. So if I'm going to talk to you about something and it's important enough for you and I to carve out time to talk, I try to do it within the next day or two. Otherwise I accrue calendar debt because yeah. if, you, if I say, Hey, you ask me, Hey, Jennifer, can we have a meeting? And I say, Oh, it's not one of my top priorities this week. I'll bump it to next week instead, or two weeks from now. Then when I wake up two weeks from now and I look at my calendar that day, like I already have like a P3, like a low priority thing on my calendar. So it's, it's like, yeah. it's either important enough for us to do right now, or maybe it's just not that important. And you can kind of drop the ball and you'd be surprised. You could drop a lot of balls and actually it's usually okay. Yeah. How do you manage your inbox? I'm sure your inbox is just inundated with salespeople, with other investors. I mean, uh, companies, uh, who, who knows? Like, it was, yeah. How do you stay on top of all that? Filters. Filters. Okay. Yeah. I aggressively filter my inbox and it's not perfect. I still get a bunch of kind of spam and, and other unwanted messages coming into my main inbox, but it's, it's actually pretty good. Um, I'll, I, I aggressively filter, um, and like have found ways to set up things, anything that looks like it's a unsolicited email, anything that those are automatic notifications, kind of all of that. I've got probably 10 different categories of things that I just filter out. How many emails do you think you get a day? Some of the filters I don't even really open. I'll open them <laughs> yeah. like once a week or once a month. So that's hard to, to, it's probably like not hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds? It's probably like a hundred, maybe 200 a day. Interesting. Um, in terms of things I have to action far less than that, maybe 50. Yeah. Yeah. 
Shifting gears a little bit, how did you come up with the idea for Scribe? Tell us a little bit about that story. And then after that, I want to hear a little bit about how you landed the first customers. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a, a famous Steve Jobs quote that you can kind of connect the dots in your life only when you look backwards. And, and that's definitely true. So I will make it sound like, you know, these wonderful things lined up together and it was so purposeful, intentional. It was not. <laughs> it just sort of was me following what I find interesting and what I wanted to be doing. And, and it landed me here. So I, I started my career as a management consultant at McKinsey and I did a lot of org and ops work. And so I would go into operation centers and try to figure out how to make them more efficient. Mm -hmm. And the name of the game there is you just figure out who the best people are <laughs> and you befriend them and you say, why are you different? Like, why are you better? What did you figure yeah. out? And they would tell me, they'd say, oh, here's all the stuff I was trained to do. And they'd pull out these really thick binders. This was 15 years ago. So we had binders and then they had to memorize everything in here. Here's the playbook I was told to do. Um, but I don't do that. I, I found these better ways instead. My team would write that up in PowerPoint and that would become our work product. And I always thought mm. at the time, like, clearly someone will figure out some way to make it so that people can share what they know how to do with everyone else. Like this is sort of obvious leverage. Right. Um, and I kind of went on my merry way. And then, um, I was in venture capital on the enterprise software side. And, you know, we always talk about how to sell things. And mm -hmm. I got really curious, why do people buy things? Uh, yeah. because you can only really understand how to sell if you understand the person on the underside and why they're making buying decisions. And so I interviewed over 1,200 CIOs, CTOs, like folks who are buyers of enterprise software. And I asked them, like, why are you buying the things you're buying right now? What do yeah. you wish existed in the market? Like, what are the challenges you're trying to solve that you're not finding technology for today? And, and I kept hearing from them this idea of, I have all of this institutional know-how and it lives in people's heads. And my only way to get it down is to tell them to take time away from doing productive work and document what they know. Or I hire some version of Jennifer when she was a consultant with her Lenovo ThinkPad to write it down for them, right? Yeah. And, and so that was the whole idea behind Scribes. I was like, look, technology can solve this. It exists. What if we could build technology that would watch anyone do a process they know how to do and automatically build step-by-step -step written documentation with screenshots that shows them how to do that process? Like what, mm. what kind of leverage could that be for people who are experts in what they know how to do to be able to now share that with everyone? Um, yeah. And so that's what we built with Scribe. And it's been really cool to see all different kinds of people use it, whether it's salespeople who are answering a question for customers who are like, hey, how do I get started in my POC? Well, you could hop on a Zoom with them. You could send them a really long email, or you could just shoot them a beautiful Scribe, which on average takes you 56 seconds to create, but nice. looks like it took you 45 minutes. And so now you've got customers being like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this amazing white glove service. Same thing applies to CS too, right? Yeah. Like ah, I, I only took a minute to do this. I found kind of a leverage point in, in my day. Um, and so for me, it's kind of just been a, a topic um, in an area that I've been interested in for, for a really long time. I might even say obsessed. Like I, I really deeply care about people applying their time and talents in like the most optimal way. I almost became an economist in another life. And so I think part <laughs> of it for me is just sort of my economist background and being like yeah. how optimal allocation of like what is special about a person and what they like doing and have them spend all of their time doing that. And let's use technology and processes to pull away everything else. So I'm curious, you had done this discovery with 
it sounds like quite a few C- CIOs and CTOs and things like that. Yeah. Once you once you built sort of an MVP product, did you go back to those same people and say, "Hey, look, I built what we talked about." And this is, you know, introducing Scribe. Is that how it worked? Or, or was there another way that you went about going to get customers? Uh, yeah, it was definitely that. But then we we layered something else on, which ended up actually being the real magic of it. Um, so uh, before we even really built it, I mean, very, very basic MVP, uh, almost like twinkle in my eye with wireframe levels. I called some yeah. like, hey, we'd talked about this two years ago. You use different language. Here's how I've thought about it now. Like, does this resonate? And so I would have CIOs who would like literally whiteboard with me in Zoom. I didn't even know you could do this in Zoom. They would whiteboard with me in Zoom. Like, here's the problem that I've got. I've got the SMEs over here and I've got the people executing over here and I'm trying yeah. and they draw little arrows. I'm trying to get the info from this person to this person. And like, and here's where it's really hard. And we, we kind of like would map it out. And so it was a lot of discovery around the pain point um, and making sure that I really understood that. Um, and then once we built something, it was going to them and saying, Hey, here's the early version. How would you think about this? What else would you need to see? Mm. And what's cool is if you hit on a customer pain, they'll also share it. So we hit some of those CIOs who just like would get off the call with me and unprompted, send an email to 15 of their CIO friends and be like, this thing is really cool. Like you need to talk to Jennifer, like here's what she's building. And they'll like write a really long essay about like why it was important and what they were excited about. So, so that definitely helped. Um, and I was really fortunate that just had had that network and, and those relationships and could kind of talk their language beforehand. The thing that actually ended up being the biggest deal for us though, had nothing to do with that, which was, we also just released a free version of our product. Oh, I see. Okay. We're getting good feedback from these one-on-one conversations, but, uh, let's just release this and see how people end up using it. And you get so much more feedback so much faster. Instead of a one-on-one conversation in an hour, you can now have tens, hundreds, eventually thousands, many, many more using that product. And you can actually see in the data, what is it that they're doing? And then you can talk to them and say like, what did you experience? How did you use it? Where were the gaps? So that actually ended up being kind of the biggest learning. I think about those Mm. early folks that we talked to as being really helpful for validating for me. Yes. Yeah. You're headed on the right path. This is, this is the right thing. Keep going. Let's kind of like help you get started and be some of those early customers. And then really all of our early free users. And then they eventually became paying users um, saying, saying with their time, we're going to take time to use your tool. We see this is really valuable. We're going to have repeat usage. And that, then we were able to say like, ah, aha, like we're, we're really onto something here and, and we can see it. It's not just people saying it to my face when I'm talking to them to be nice. It's like voting with their time. They're actually using this thing. So I I was noticed, I was reading some of your social posts and you talked about product-led sales and product-led growth. How are those different? And is what you're describing, is that product-led sales? Yeah. So product-led sales is is the way that you sell within a product-led growth context. And um, I think it's the the future of sales. Many people disagree with me and say, we've been selling yeah. this for a long time already. And you've just put a different like wrapper on Brand it. Brand on it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that that's probably true <laughs> to, to a large extent. <laughs> um, it's just the concept of the fact that you can use a product and the attributes of the product and the usage behavior of the product to enable you to be a faster, better, more effective seller. That's it. I We call it whatever we want. We just put a word on it. Um, But if I'm a salesperson, all I'm saying to you is like, you got an extra pretty powerful tool in your toolkit, in your arsenal 
to be able to have an informed customer conversation where you help them get to value. And so what's nice about product-led growth is mm-hmm. um, when it works, uh, your user base, your number of users who are coming in every day, the people who are experiencing your product are growing probably much faster than you could just with traditional marketing um, because you're benefiting from all of this virality within the product. And so if I'm a salesperson in that context, you're like, okay, so that means more and more people are coming. It's an exponential curve. More and more people are coming in every day and using this product. So when I go to have a conversation with a customer, like odds are they're actually already an existing user. So they're mm-hmm. more informed. They're farther through the funnel. I can look at the data to understand what they've been doing before I ever get on a call with them. I can map, where are they in their journey? Like, what have they been doing? Have they been inviting teammates? Have they been around for a day, a week, a month? Are they really active? Are they just getting started? And you can map that with where you sort of define different stages of activation in the user journey from the product team. And so now I can hop on and have a really different customer conversation where I'm not just doing an intro call and demoing and asking them, you know, who they are and doing standard disco. I can now say, okay, well, here are the things that I've observed so far. Are you finding these challenges? Are you here in your journey? Where can I help? And then you can get more proactive over time and even reach out and say, Hey, I noticed you're at this stage of your journey. Often customers have trouble with X, Y, and Z. Let me know if I can help. And you get on the phone with that lead and that's just a radically different conversation. We skipped a few of those intro conversations and you're getting into the meat of it. That is, that is the fun part is that you don't have to start with the 101 basics. It's not, yeah, I need to first educate you on this marketplace, this category, and then educate you on the product and then decide if it's a fit, you know, you're able to go in and say, Hey, we've, we've already gathered this Intel from your usage of our product. Now we just need to find where it fits in best and how do we move forward? Right. So I, and I tend to agree, by the way, I think this is the future of SaaS selling. Um, I think that because we've got buyers who are much more educated and do a lot more research before they ever come inbound onto uh, you know, onto a landing page or a website, or they, they sign up for information on a product. And then I think more and more people are oriented towards, I want to try something out before I buy it. I'm not going to go through this whole song and dance of dragging out a sales cycle for three months, just because I need to do it at the mercy of the sales team at this company, but rather I want to get in and actually try it out and learn by doing and decide if this is the right tool for my business. So I tend to agree. I know there's a lot of like, there's definitely a lot of uh, opposing thought on the topic. And, you know, of course, I don't think that completely makes extinct the the, the need to go and hunt down large enterprise or strategic deals. Enterprise but I do is think, very different. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. But I still think what you're saying, this, this could still benefit a large enterprise if they have users that can come in and try something out and then expand throughout the organization once they've sort of, you know, gone through a proof of concept or something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, what, what's great, sort of the ideal if you're selling into large enterprises is you can go find Mr. And Mrs. CIO and say, Hey, Mr. And Mrs. CIO, I'm blank from blank. We've got this many people in your company using our products already. Like here's the value they're seeing from it. Here's what they have to say about it. And here's the value prop that I'm bringing to you. Like, here's what I think you should know and, and ways that we might be able to be helpful. Like, let me better understand what you're solving for. That's just a this is a much more powerful conversation. Like you're way more likely yeah. to get that meeting, right? And now you've got all these advocates and champions within the company who can help you talk about multi-threading, like go to the people who yeah. 
the product and then figure out who they can introduce you to, uh, who can help influence that decision. If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. So you came from a management consulting background, and then it looks like you did sales at Greylock as well. So did you feel like founding the company, you had a pretty good command of selling, or were there some areas that you still needed to work on as a, as a salesperson uh, when you became the, you know, of course, founder CEO? Yeah. Um, I have a hot take, which is, I think that we're all selling all the time. Just some of us have sales in our titles and, and do it, you know, as, as a profession. Um, but your, your consultant, you're selling yourself, you're, you're mm -hmm. selling, like you're selling your knowledge and your time, essentially, um, you're in venture capital, you're selling capital, uh, yeah. and, and yourself like tied to that. You're a founder, you're selling your vision, you're selling your product, you're selling your company. And in the early days, you're selling yourself. They're buying because they believe in you and, and what you're gonna build. My my sales team will often lament that I'm the least salesy salesperson. Um, so uh, I really enjoy selling. I love selling yeah. because to me, selling just means sharing with someone something I'm really passionate about and seeing if I can help them solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And if I can't help them solve a problem, then, then I'm like, okay, great. I'm glad you don't have this problem. Like, good for you. Uh, let's kind of like go, go on our merry ways. I'm not going to try to convince you of something that happens very yeah. rarely, by the way. A lot of people have yeah. a lot of problems that they need help. Oh with. yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but uh, to me, it's more just about, maybe it's the consultant background. It's more about, I'm trying to jointly problem solve with you, how to make your life easier in this area that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and have seen a lot of other people in the ways that they have tried to solve this problem. And so it's almost like a, a consultative approach um, and I love it. And so mm -hmm. the feedback I'll often get from customers is like, wow, I can just tell, I can just tell how much like you love this. And it's, it's kind of infectious because we're talking about a problem space that most people don't get fired up on every day. Um, we right. do have some customers who do, and I love them. We're like kindred spirits, but for most people, they're like, I don't want to think about process knowledge. I don't, I don't really want to think about institutional know-how to, you know, documentation. Oh, that's like a four letter word. You know, no one really enjoys that. But then you talk about what you're trying to enable with your business and you're like, okay, well, are you trying to ramp people faster? Are you trying to ensure that you've got consistent practices that are actually the correct way to do things? And then people get fired mm -hmm. up about that. Right. And then I get fired up about how we can help them do it. The part of sales that I had to learn was much more like the mechanics around how do you how do you push to resolution and calls because I love to just sort of like problem solve and 
what's often worked for me in my life is that we just really vibe and I'm getting really excited with someone and I'm adding value. They'll usually just pull for more. And then I right. say, okay, great. I'm happy to, I'm happy to spend more time or, or do more together. Um, but there really is both an art and a real science around mm -hmm. how to be more prescriptive with customers and pushing a timeline and a process for how they engage with your company and how they buy. And so that's been an area where uh, I've really been able to learn from our sales team, who's excellent at this, of the way to do that, where to the customer, it doesn't feel salesy. It feels like you're adding more value to them. They're saying, okay, great. I'm so excited. Now what? Help me, guide me. Yeah. If it's any consolation, I'm a career seller and I, I tend to be more like you. I'm an evangelist. I love talking about problems and solutions and I love demoing and presenting. And the areas that I've had to close gaps in in my career is the the persistence and like outlining the steps to signature and even the the follow-ups and the I don't want to call it pushing because you should never push a prospect in selling, but just the 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 friction, let's call it the friction, like getting to that friction with the prospect. I tend to be the same way where I in in my head I'm like, if I just present the product in a really amazing way and I'm, you know, speaking to their pain and, and showing how we're a solution, they'll want to come to me uh versus me having to still guide them completely through the process. And back to the, the you know the commentary about product-led sales, I do think that it's going to get easier to do that because people are going to be so passionate about the product having used it and deployed it or at least tested it. And so I do think that part's that part of selling is going to get a lot easier, but um that I'm I'm the exact same way. That's the skill set that I had to close in on a little bit more in my career, especially over the last 5 or 6 years. So it's funny to hear that that we're we're similar selling styles that uh you know evangelism or, you know, being able to, to connect with people and just talk about solutions and problems is the funnest part for, for you too. But I, I actually think that that skill probably is more important in a, in a product led sales world. And here's why, because you're probably yeah. getting more people in your funnel who are not used to procuring software on behalf of their team or enterprise, right? Cause anything about sort of a traditional world, it reaches out to you. They fill out a lead form. They're like, I know, I know what this is. Like, I know how to buy. I know what our evaluation process looks like internally. I mean, maybe, but you know, right. they've, done, they've probably done it before. <laughs> um, they will do it again at some point. Uh, whereas with product led sales, especially if you're a pretty horizontal product, like we are, you can get some people who are like, I just love this and I've got some budget or I can access some budget, but I don't do this very often. And so help me figure out how to navigate my company uh, and, and my process here, but they usually won't ask you. They won't say that, right? And the aha moment for me has been seeing our really great sellers just be more prescriptive and you can see the relief in their eyes. They're like, oh, yeah. you, you can help, you can hold my hand and walk me through this. I'm not going to have to try to figure this out on my own. Yeah. You mentioned funnel. Uh, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on traction. So when you started the company, how did you get how did you get that funnel or how did you get that top of funnel action that, that went into the, you know, the trial of the product? It sounds like you opened it up and made it free. How did you get, uh, you know, how did you get users to, to drive to the website and, and go sign up? Yeah. So, um, we released a free version on product hunt, um, oh, which cool. is a, a great kind of resource for just new products, new companies getting started because it's a community of people who have volunteered to um, uh, basically engage with really early stage products and give feedback on whether they think it's cool or not. Uh, and so we had a bunch of people uh, through that who started using it. They upvoted us all the nice things. 
And then we sort of said, well, what, what now? now? And we, well, I don't know. Let's kind of, we just kind of keep back and doing what we're doing. We keep talking to our enterprise customers, et cetera, et cetera. And what was cool is we started seeing the word of mouth accelerate. And we started seeing more and more proof points where every day more and more downloads would come through afterwards. And yeah. then we would find that there was a, and then we started asking those people, how did you hear, how'd you hear about us? Like product hunt is done. We haven't done any marketing. And they'd say, oh, uh, someone showed it to me, or I found this blog. And turns out we'd been picked up by like 10 different blogs in five different languages that had just wow. like tried our product and thought it was cool and, and wrote about it. And so we got this really nice kind of word of mouth. And then um, this very early product-led growth because we hadn't built out all of the growth loops in the product yet. But the beauty of what we've built is you only ever create a step-by-step guide, what we call a scribe, to share it with someone else. Like it's inherently a sharing product, right? And so for every yeah. person who uses it, you now have at least one other person, maybe many, many more, maybe hundreds or thousands more who are now seeing what they've created. And it says on it, like created by scribe, you know, do you want to do this yourself? Find out how. And so we were that able is- to benefit from that word of mouth and that those those growth loops in our product um, to really kind of snowball our our user base. And we we were kind of watching it. We were half watching it. We're sort of like we don't know if this thing is going to work or not. And so you just started seeing more and more coming in every day. And then at some point, it just hit a level where we were like, oh, we can't ignore this. This is this is really real. And people started writing in and saying, hey, I'm I'm using your product a lot. I can't keep using a free version. Like you're housing some really important data for me here. Like, can I please swipe a credit card and we can have some kind of agreement? You know, you're not going to go away and sell my data and all these good things. And so then our our self-service product was born too. That's amazing. What what advice would you give to a sales leader, a rep, heck, even a marketer out there right now who's maybe feeling like they're not growing? Uh, they're They're hitting a wall with their growth. They're... They're not getting the results that they're looking for from uh, revenue, uh, you know, from a revenue standpoint. What are some things that that you would try if you were in that position? Yeah, I have maybe counterintuitive advice that I tell my team all the time. It would actually be like try less hard. Um, and mm. what I mean by that is, uh, I think when um, really smart, uh, ambitious, uh, you know, high achieving people. Um, aren't getting the results that they want from something, their instinct is to double down. Yeah. And to say, like, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to take this boulder and I'm just going to, I'm going to try to push even harder, push more into it. And the thing I tell my team all the time, are we pushing a boulder up a hill? Is that why this is hard? If it feels hard, we're probably doing it wrong. Actually, yeah. it should feel like you've got wind at your back. And if you don't feel like you are on flat surface or you've got wind at your back, you probably picked the wrong hill. And so I often in those instances will call time out and it's assuming you've sort of done the right things and you've executed correctly. Right. I mean, there could be real yeah. reasons, but, but I'll sort of, then you say all of that's true. No, we gave it a good, fair shot, right? Time out. Okay. Well, do we have the right goals? Are we going after the right thing? What would be easier? If I told you we've got one week to get this right, like let's seriously time box it, what would you do differently instead? And so much of the world is non-linear. Like we are taught, you just do a little bit more of this and this comes out the other side. Like you, right. you take tests and then you advance from the fifth grade to the sixth grade and like, it's all very linear. 
And then you go to the real world. Anyone who's blown away their quota knows it's not, it's not linear no, at all. Not like at there all. are, there are certain things that are just a small amount of effort that can make a really big difference on the other side. And so in those moments, I would call timeout and say, okay, well, let me think about this differently. If I was massively constrained if I, if I wanted to like go to happy hour every day at 2 PM, what would be the easy, lazy way for me to achieve this goal that I'm trying to do? And then let me work backwards from that. Cause that's probably the boulder down the hill. That is really great advice. And I, 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 you're exactly right that we just don't think to do that. We're all wired to just say, let's double, you know, let's lean in further. Let's double down. Even if it's not working, we never stop and try to think through, are we even going up the right hill and are we pushing the right thing up the right hill? And this doesn't feel easy. So is it, is it really worthwhile? I, uh, I think that's really great advice. What are some things that uh, what some what are some things that you would attribute your career success to? One or two things uh, that you consistently go back to each time you're you know faced with adversity that you feel like have gotten you through the tough times. I think you have to know your why. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing what you're doing? What motivates you? Like what fires you up every day? Um, what's your dare I say purpose or reason you get out of the bed and it'll be different at different phases of your life. And you don't have to, if you're 24, you don't have to know sort of the end game, but your, your why could be, uh, you know, I think that I want to be a CRO someday, or I think that I, you know, sales is great for me. And so right now my goal is about learning what excellent looks like at sales and seeing if I want to become excellent at sales and make that up. Uh, but tying it back to like, what's your reason why you're doing what you're doing? Because any context you go into, other people are like automatically imposing their own whys on you all the time. And if you don't have your own internal compass for what it is that you're trying to do, like you're just going to get battered by the seas yeah. single day. Your inbox is an example of that, by the way. Have you ever had like a free five minutes and you're like, oh, I don't really know what to do right now. Let me just open my inbox. You're hit with everyone else's priorities. This is all the stuff they wanted to get done and you bat through it and whatever. But at the end of those, that time you just spent, like you probably didn't advance any of your own agenda. And so you've got to be clear with yourself about like, what's my agenda? What am I trying to get done? What am I trying to learn? Why is this important to me? What fires me up? And then you got to figure out how to manage. We talk a lot about time management. You got to figure out how to manage your energy. Mm-hmm. through that because again the the world will bat a lot at you that is like yeah. counter to your why or orthogonal to your why and it's just you spend a lot of time dealing with stuff that you don't you know that's like probably not what fires you up and so yeah you got to think about like what know yourself what fires you up where do you get energy and then try to manage your schedule so you're spending as much time doing that thing because chances are that's your superpower So spend your time doing your superpower, get great at your superpower. Like you'll have a better experience because chances are you love that thing and you'll get farther with it. Amazing. Let me ask you this. So undoubtedly someone out there listening right now is hearing this episode and they're like, oh my God, I got to go work for Jennifer. This sounds amazing. Scribe sounds awesome. I think I could do really well there. What kind of things do you look for in a candidate for your sales team, your marketing team, wherever in your business? Yeah. The most important thing is a growth mindset and curiosity around the problem. And it's actually really obvious really quickly, <laughs> um, which, which is, uh, you know, it's someone looking to just get a job, um, which is a very linear way of thinking. Like I need mm-hmm. a job, so I'm just going to go get a job. 
or is someone like on a mission in some way? You don't necessarily know what that is, but you have some sort of sense, right? And so for me, it's people I meet who are like, oh, I've done these things in the past. Here's what, here's the common thread of what I really enjoyed about them. And so I want to go do more of that. I want to learn how to do this or I've, uh, I've started doing uh, some of this and I'd love to see what excellent looks like. And so I'm looking for a place that will enable me to do blah, blah, blah. And here's what I hope to, to learn out of it. The, the best people are ones that I get on, uh, an interview with, and they start kind of almost teaching me or problem solving with me on something. Um, and that's just hugely energizing because now I feel like we work together. I just met you, but we're like, we're problem solving on something that's actually really relevant to me and my business. And I'm learning a lot about you and how you think, and you're learning a lot about me and how I think and how far we are in solving this problem. And so that's just a really fun conversation. Like I, I just had a, an interview with a, with an SDR who, um, we aren't, we weren't at the time really hiring for an SDR, but she came by referral. And so I just hopped on with her and was like, Hey, I'm not sure if we're hiring it, but I just love to make connections with great talent. Would love to learn more about you. And then she just started telling me about all the stuff she's seen in product led sales. Um, and it wasn't even what she was doing day to day. It was what she observed other people doing in her company Mm. that she thought was really interesting. Like, here's what our AEs were doing. Here's how our sales leadership was thinking about it. Here's what I thought about that. I didn't really know about this. Here's where I want to learn more. Um, and that was just hugely energizing. I was like, wow, this is someone who's curious and thoughtful about the world and how she can plug into it and what kinds of problems she wants to be solving. And so like, I know that if I brought her in here, she'd, she'd bring that same energy and would be like another person helping us to solve problems every day. And that's what, that's what you're looking for. You hire people to solve. Yeah. That's a great story. And for anyone listening, pay, pay attention to that. That's a great approach to, to finding your next role is even if you haven't done it yourself, you can point to what you've observed and what you're attempting to do or what you intend to do and bring that growth mindset to the table. Uh, very great advice for anyone out there. And uh, yeah, hopefully anyone listening who wants to go look and describe uh, will, will be able to find you. So, so on that note, where can listeners get in touch with you, follow you and learn more about Scribe? Yeah, you can you can follow me most active on LinkedIn. I'm Jennifer Smith. Uh, and then uh, for Scribe, you can try it out directly. Go to scribehow.com. Um, we track this. It takes four minutes from the moment someone lands on our site to when they've been able to create and share their first guide. So next time someone has a question for you, hey, how do I do something? Especially if it's a repetitive question, we all get those. Just create a scribe and send it to them and and hopefully that helps you. That's so awesome. Well, uh, it was amazing to have you on. Anything else you care to share with uh, listeners that in terms of advice or, or words of wisdom? Importing. Yeah. So I shared, I mean, I try not to share that much advice, but you sort of goaded <laughs> by asking some questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, uh, take advice also with a grain of salt. I'll now speak out of the other side of my mouth, which is, yeah, I, I've got a lot of advice early in my career. All of it were very well-intentioned. And when, when someone takes the time to sit down to you and especially try to give you feedback that's specific to you, like, I believe that's a, that's a gift and you should just be thankful for that but then you should pick and choose which ones you actually internalize and what serves you. And that's because, and, and that will be easier, the clearer you are on like your why, like what it was not I'm trying to do, what's important to you. I got all kinds of conflicting advice. I would have very, yeah. wealthy, very smart people I worked with who would be like, Jennifer, you need to be more aggressive. 
Jennifer, you need to smile more and seem less aggressive. Jennifer, you need to wear glasses and uh, jewelry to look older. Jennifer, you should uh, dress less fancy so it's not distracting to men in the workplace. Like you kind of name it <laughs> and I've, wow. I've it <laughs> um, in my career, all very well-intentioned from well-meaning, mm -hmm. smart people who had my best interests at heart. And, you know, I think I spent a lot of time and cycles and emotional energy, like trying to internalize it and contort myself to fit into the mold of what I thought like a good professional at that stage looked like. Yeah. Like the unlock for me was when I sort of went F it. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, what is it that I have found works well for me? Like, how do people generally respond to me? What do they, what, where do I seem to get the best sort of response from people? Like, where do I feel like I'm pushing a boulder downhill in the mm -hmm. way that I show up to work? And I'm just going to do that. And you know what? I mean, we talk about authenticity a lot now. We didn't so much back when I first got started. So now we've got kind of a word around it, but I'm a big believer in it because you show up doing, you show up the way that is natural to you. You're going to be like leaning into your superpower more. Like I think the value, the people who get the farthest are people who maintain their spikes and their jagged edges and actually sharpen them over time. And what the world is probably going to try to do to you is polish it down into a shiny stone. And like, we got a lot of shiny stones. You can make, a, you can be, have a great life as a shiny stone stone, but you can have like a pretty excellent one. If you like, if you keep those jagged edges. And so think about what those jagged edges are for you. And then go be in a place where like that jagged edge gets you farther because you have it. That is such great advice. I needed that today personally. So uh, thank you so much for for sharing well, that. Don't let the world make you into a stone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's hard. It's really hard to go against the the norm, or and it's hard yeah. to not let yourself get polished, as you as you put it. I think that's a really interesting way to put it, and really got to, got me thinking about past managers, past advice I've gotten, and I think that's 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 so good that you can't implement all of it. It's impossible. So you've got to to align with what your why is and, and implement the advice that's going to get you towards that why. Well, Jennifer, thanks again for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun to chat. <laughs> awesome. Take care. You too. Cheers. Cheers.